kind of cool. Well, believe it or not, whether you like it or not, Thanksgiving is this week already, so that's going to be a fun day of eating quite a bit of food uh, and then going to sleep, taking a nap. Um, but knowing that, we're doing something a little different this year with our Thanksgiving Eve service. And um, so I just want to invite you here on Wednesday night, 6.30, and we're going to have some music, some testimonies about what God's doing in the lives, lives of some of our people here, and then uh, bring a dessert to share, and we're going to do some eating. It's kind of like um, prepping ourselves for the morning, you know, for when we have our lunch. So um, we're always here to help you guys out in any way we can, and that's one way we're going to be doing that. So, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? Okay. All right. So, hold your hands back up. I, I was laughing and couldn't see. When I smile, my cheeks go up and I can't see anything. All right, so, okay, so everybody, everybody wants to go to heaven. In fact, there's a country song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Um, but I think most people, if you ask them that question, do you want to go to heaven, they would say yes, if, except for... Of course, there's always that one guy in a crowd, right? Oh, I want to go to hell and party with my friends, you know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there is that one guy. And again, if, if, if the guy was actually sober while you were asking that question, he would probably say, no, really, if you knew what hell was all about, he would want to be going to heaven. Um, well, today we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus Christ is speaking and he's encouraging us to make sure that we're on the right path to heaven. He's going to warn us about some people who are going to try to get us off track. And he's going to uh, remind us of what it takes to know for sure we're going to heaven. And So here's the cool thing. If you're here this morning and you're like not really sure that you're going to go to heaven, when we're done this morning, my prayer is, if, especially if I can make things clear and, and God of course does His work, that you can know for sure when you leave this service that you're going to heaven. You can walk out confident of that because of what Jesus Christ is teaching uh, in this passage. We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're in week 3 of Matthew 7, our series called 7. It's page 963. We're going to start in verse 13 and work through several of these uh, verses. And just as a, as a reminder, keeping everybody up on what we're doing here, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching. He's at the end of it. It started in chapter 5, it goes to chapter 7, and we're kind of just looking at the end of that Sermon on the Mount. And throughout the entire uh, sermon, Jesus is basically comparing the attitude behind those who are self-righteous, those who are religious-minded in the sense that they're going to use the religious rituals and traditions that they have in order to gain God's acceptance. And so it becomes really a, a self-focused, here's what I'm going to do in order for me to get to heaven. And when a person operates at that level, there's typically um, kind of a self-righteous attitude, a condemning attitude, I'm better than you are type of attitude in people like that. And they're, as we find out, they're, truly, uh, they're not true followers of Christ. He's comparing it with the attitude of those who are true followers of Christ. And a true follower of Christ, and I, I really appreciate how Jesus Christ lays these things out for us. He doesn't say, you know, if you're a true follower of Christ, you might be this way or you might be that way. He says, no, this is how you're going to be. And so, as a, and we can kind of then evaluate 
our lives against what he says and say, okay, I'm really doing it. So a true follower of Christ, according to Jesus, who is the one we're following, by the way, uh, he says that we're going to be merciful, that we're going to be humble, that we're going to be doing whatever we do in order to help other people, encourage other people. We're not going to be looking down on people. We're going to be caring about people because we understand what God has done for us through Christ. Another aspect that we have to talk about today is is his audience. One of the key things as you're reading the Bible, it's important to understand who is it that the author is talking to. Because who he's talking to is, um, he's going to say certain things, and we have to kind of put ourselves into their shoes so we best understand what, they're, what he's saying. So we don't read it from our perspective, we read it from the perspective of his audience. So Jesus is writing to Jewish people, and Jews for the most part, thought that they were already good with God, that they were going to go to heaven simply by being born a Jew. Because in the Old Testament, God talked to Abraham. Abraham, He said, hey, I'm going to make out of you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you and this nation, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. Now we know, looking back, that he's talking about Jesus Christ. So God the Son comes to earth, is born as a Jewish baby, lives a perfect life under the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, and then dies for our sins. So he lives the perfect life that we need. He dies the death, our death in hell, and then he rises again to defeat sin and death. So that's kind of the blessing that comes from Israel. But a lot of the people in Israel thought, well, no, just because I'm born Jewish, I'm good with God and I'm going to go to heaven. So Jesus, God, comes to earth to to explain to them, you're getting this wrong. We've talked about this before, people. You're getting it wrong. Now I'm here personally to help you understand that you've been getting it wrong and you need to place your faith in me, in God, and what God is doing. But here's the deal. Today, we still have that in some cases. See, it's kind of weird, and it's not in all cases. It's becoming less and less, I think, the further we get away from being a, a Christian nation. But we've got a lot of people who just, because they were born maybe into a family that has gone to church in the past, they think that they're, they're Christian and, and they're going to heaven. Or because they were born into the United States, that supposedly is a Christian nation. I mean, all the other nations look at us and say, well, they're a Christian nation, which we would look at and say, well, not really. I mean, we're pretty messed up. I don't think we're really, a, morally speaking, we don't look like what Jesus says. But still, some people would be, well, I'm born you know, in the United States. Or they'll say, well, you know, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Muslim, I'm, I'm not some other you know, Hindu or some other world religion, so I must be Christian. And so I must be going to heaven. So, Jesus is really speaking to us as well. Just the fact that we're not Jewish, we're kind of coming at it from maybe we're born into it, maybe, maybe we're somehow connected in because of our parents or some other family members, that type of thing. So we need to look at what Jesus has to say. All right. So we're going to start 13 and 14 and start breaking this down a little bit for you. So it says this, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life 
and there are few who find it. So I'm going to go through this morning and I'll highlight some words and then kind of emphasize those and give some understanding, hopefully, to those things. But Jesus is telling us, from His perspective, now again, He's God, right? So from His perspective, and really His perspective only counts because He's God. He's saying there are two paths in life. We might think there's a bunch of other paths, but He's saying, as God, understand people, there are two paths. One of them is a wide gate and broad. I mean, you can just walk all over the place. The other one is a narrow or small gate. He uses both words. And narrow is the way. The way is narrow. And so Jesus is saying there's, there's two gates. There's two paths. Everyone is on one of these two paths. Everyone who's on these paths, or a lot of them, would say, yes, I'm going to heaven, or I hope I'm going to heaven. Both paths. People are assuming. But Jesus says there's only one that leads to heaven. The one He's talking about that leads to life. And so, what He's doing is He's telling the Jewish people that He's talking to, Matthew, when he's writing this, is actually writing to first century Christians. And so He's saying, Christians, you guys need to think about this now. You need to kind of work through this. Talked about judging, right? So we're going to you're going to have to do some self-evaluation, self-judging, and understand, am I really on the right road? Am I really on the right path? Have I chosen the right gate? The word enter there in the Greek is a command. So Jesus is really trying to get our attention here. He's saying, enter the narrow gate. He's passionate about it. He's He wants us to understand this is a big thing. He's taking this seriously, and we need to take it serious as well. So what's wrong with the Broadway? And I don't mean Broadway in New York, though I'm sure there's some things wrong with it. But what's up with the Broadway? The gate is wide, the way is broad, that leads to destruction, and many are going to walk on that. What's that mean? Well, the word wide and broad mean basically this. There's There's no obstacle in the way. There's no barrier. There's nothing constraining you or keeping you. So the gate, I mean, anybody can walk through that. Anybody with any kind of belief will walk through that. Anybody who um, wants to live however they want to live, they're going to walk through that. And what he's saying is, there's going to be religious people who walk through that. There's going to be non-religious people who are walking through that. There's going to be atheists who are walking through it. There's going to be agnostics who are walking through it. There's going to be spiritualists who are walking through it. Spiritualists mean that people who like to talk about and think about in the realm of being spiritual, but there's no, it's kind of really nebulous. It's kind of, maybe you've talked to some of those people. Everything is spiritual, and every little thing that happens in life has been done kind of to show you something. You know, that kind of a spiritualist, we would call them. And so there's a bunch of people on this. It's easily accessed. And once you're on it, you can live however you want. You can think whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. It's, it's wide. It's spacious. It's non-constraining. And you just walk along. And again, there's a lot of people on here who are thinking that they're on the road to heaven. But Jesus is saying, time out, it leads to destruction. 
What he means there is destroying. doesn't mean annihilation. He's talking about hell. And so you got this huge group of people walking down this path of life who are sadly going to find themselves facing hell at the end of their life. And if you're not buying what Jesus is teaching about sin, what Jesus is teaching about salvation, what God is offering you, or offering me, if we're not buying that, then you're on that road. I'm not saying you're on that road. Jesus is saying you're on that road. What about the narrow road? What does that mean? Well, Jesus wants us to enter it. The gate is small. The way is narrow. It leads to life, and few will find it. What's he talking about there? Well, that word narrow or small means really means limited. He's not saying it's difficult. It's not like somebody like me who's not very slim. Um, it's not like I can't quite get through it because it's so small. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that it's limited. And it's limited in three ways. Number one, it's limited because there's only one way to get through it. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's limited. The wide gate, you can go down that path through that gate however you want to believe. On whatever kind of belief system you want to walk, you can walk that. But on the narrow, it's through Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. Don't, please don't be mad at me. I like to be liked. So, this is Jesus saying that. That's extremely narrow. That's extremely limited. Only one way. Through Jesus Christ. Now I have to say this. It's not because God likes to get His jollies out of making things difficult for us or to walk us, watch us jump through some sort of weird hoop. It's because the sin that we have in us that has caused us to be spiritually dead and separated from God, the only one powerful enough, and I've said this numerous times, but it doesn't change the truth of it, the only one powerful enough to remove it, and we should be excited about this, is God Himself and God has through Jesus Christ. It's, it's awesome. It's so awesome, it's hard to grab hold of. By the way, is one reason why there's few who find it. It's limited because it's only one person at a time. This has to be a decision that you and I make as an individual. We can't go along on the coattails of our parents or some other relative. We can't, let, we can't have somebody else pray for us to get us into heaven. We've got to do it ourselves. We've got to recognize that we're sinners, that we're separated from God, that, that we need help and be humble enough to accept what He's given us. And then it's limited, lastly, because now, once we give our lives to Christ, once, once God adopts us into His family through salvation, through faith in Christ, now our lives are no longer lived for us. On the broad road, we can do whatever we want. We can come up with whatever religious system we want. We can look as spiritual as we think we need to look. 
But when it comes to giving our life to Christ, now our lives are lived the way Jesus wants us to live. And He wants us to live for His purposes. Not for my purpose. Not to build my kingdom. Not to make me look so good and all great. But to make God look good. To make God look great. And He's going to do that through how He impacts my life. What He does in my life. What He allows into my life. The difficult things. The good things. Here's the cool thing. I was, as I was thinking through this this week and praying about it, this thought came into my head. God the Father becomes your Father and you're His child. Jesus becomes your Lord and you're His servant. And the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher and you're His student. In none of those relationships do you choose what it is that you're to do. God is your Father. He tells a child what to do. Jesus is our Lord. He tells a servant what to do. And the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He tells the student what to do. But in that relationship is where we want to be. That's the best place for us to be because as God being our Father, He's promised to protect us, to provide for us, to fight for us, to take everything that's in our lives, whether it's good or bad, whatever it was that was leading up to us coming to Christ, all that stuff He's going to take and He's going to use for our benefit to grow spiritually and in order to help other people come to know who Jesus Christ is. In fact, we're going to do a series called Hindsight 2020 in January. We're going to talk about the pain and regrets and the difficult things we've gone through. What does the Bible say about those things and how is it that God wants to work in those things? So make sure you're here for those. It's going to start maybe end of December, certainly into to January. But Jesus says this in John 10.10. He says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly means knock your socks off. It's, it's beyond cool. It's, it's awesome. It's unbelievable. Why? I don't know if any of you have ever had the privilege of walking along with somebody who eventually takes a step of faith and puts their faith in Christ and then watches God do some incredible stuff in their life. If you haven't, can I encourage you to do something? Make a goal for 2020 and ask God to give you the opportunity to see that happen. To be a part of that. I've had several conversations just this week with people who have given their life to Christ. And now they're telling me some of the cool stuff that's happening in their family that's not even really connected, in a sense, to what the decision they made. But God's like, hey, awesome. You're my child. Now, I know you've got some hurts and some pains and some things going on in your life. Let me breathe some hope into your life that I care about that. And I want to help you. It's awesome for me to sit there. I got a phone call last night. Two phone calls last night. It's awesome to sit there. I was trying to eat my dinner. I put the dinner to the side because it was really good too, by the way. I put it to the side because I wanted to pay attention to what these individuals were telling me about what God is doing in their life. There is nothing better than that, you guys. Nothing better than that. And if you haven't experienced it, pray that God will give you that opportunity in 2020 to walk through with somebody who doesn't know the Lord to be there when they accept Christ. There's nothing like it. And when you give your life to Christ, that life, your life, ends 
in heaven one day. But few find it. Why? Because for whatever reason, (laughs) humans are prideful, arrogant people and we want to have a part in our salvation. We want to have some credit. We want to have a little bit of a, a pat on the back. But it's not about us. It's about what Christ has done. Well, and Jesus goes on and says, hey, listen, beware of some false teachers. So let's let him say it. He says, beware of the false, false prophets, false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? No. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Both trees look alike. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So what's Jesus saying here? I'm going to rip through this pretty quickly. False prophets, who are they? These are people who, are, who say that they're teaching correctly about who Jesus is, what sin is, what salvation is all about, and what's heaven all about. But they're not teaching correctly. It's wrong. Jesus says don't judge, right? Now he's telling us to judge. And what he means there is, pay attention. We're not to judge condemningly. We're supposed to judge mercifully, humbly, bringing truth. But we we need to look at what people are teaching. Go, well maybe I shouldn't say this, but if you happen to spend time on any of the Christian stations, radio stations, TV stations, podcasts, whatever, listen very closely to what those people are saying. There's a bunch of them. That fit this. Listen very closely to what I'm saying. I'm, I don't want to be a false prophet. My goal is to be truthful, but do you guys know it? You know, feel free. Check it out. You've got to read your Bible. I keep saying, you've got to read your Bible. They're in sheep's clothing. What's that mean? Well, they want to appear like they're Christians. So they use words that are Christianese. They, they say things in a certain way that sounds very spiritual and maybe even has some truth to it a little bit. And then they take it and they begin to twist it and twist it and twist it and twist it and twist it to the point where it's kind of like, well, that doesn't even say what the first truth was. But they want to appear like it, they want to, but they're deceiving. Because inwardly, in their heart, they're ravenous wolves. They're looking to destroy people. Some some people might just some of those people might just really believe what they think, and other people are really there to be con men and con women. Con genderless. Whatever. I don't know. Trying to reach everybody. And then he says they will be destroyed by fire. They'll be destroyed by fire because one, their their fruit, it's not the right fruit. It's not producing the right fruit. And and by them producing the wrong fruit, they're showing that they're not even followers of Christ not followers of Christ, where are they? On the wide path. Doing whatever they think they should be doing. And the end is destruction. And Jesus finishes up talking about some people who show up at the gates of heaven 
I have a conversation with him. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's key, people. What is the will of the Father, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Who are these people? Well, it could be some of the false prophets. It could be people sitting in our church. First of all, they claim to know Jesus. That word, Lord, Lord, has, they have an understanding. It's not the capital L-O-R-D, but it's, it's the small letter L-O-R-D, but it, it has a sense of deity to it. And so they, they, they're saying, we know you. We know who you are. We know about you. But we understand, right, you can know a lot about somebody but not know them personally. We can find out a whole lot about President Trump, for instance, and know all about his history, but he doesn't know us, and we don't really know him. We can know a lot about God and about Jesus, have a bunch of information. We could even be accurate with that information. But if we don't know him personally, if he doesn't know us, more importantly, know us personally, then there's an issue, there's a problem, and these people seem a little confused by what Jesus' response is. Why? Because they were doing ministry in His name. It's interesting. The word we, no, go back. The word we, we, did we not prophesy in your name? That we actually in the Greek is repeated. So, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not in your name cast out demons? And did we not in your name perform? Notice what's happening there? Didn't we do that? Where was the focus? On them. What they did. Broad Road. They're walking down the Broad Road because they're thinking, well, if I teach and if I can cast out demons and if I can you know, do miracles, then God, uh, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it. It's me. It's all about me. It's interesting because throughout the Bible, God uses people who are not followers of His to do His will. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that they have a relationship that He knows them. He's using them to fulfill His, his purposes. Then Jesus says, I, Depart from Me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. They're doing all this good stuff. I'm going to take you back to two passages of Scripture. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. Because since the Old Testament, God's been trying to get everybody's attention. He says this in Isaiah, For all of us become like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. When God sees us trying to do what we think we need to do in order to gain His acceptance, all this good stuff that we talk about, we're still walking around in sin because we're being selfish in why we're doing what we're doing. He's been trying to tell us throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he has Paul tell us this. And again, we've talked about these, but if you're a Christian here, you need to be making sure you take these because I keep on, if we're taking a test as a teacher, I'd be like, these are verses that you want to know for the test. He said, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, Jesus, 
He saved us. God saved us. Notice how there's nothing of us in there? It's not God and Harold's good work saved us. It was God. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in the righteousness, even if it's good church ministry deeds. But according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot regenerate ourselves. We cannot renew ourselves spiritually. We can't do spiritual CPR on ourselves. If I was dying physically, I wouldn't sit there going like this trying to get myself to come to back to life, right? Physically speaking, you guys would have to do that for me. Spiritually speaking, I can't do it. God has to be the one who does it. Whom He poured out on us richly. So it doesn't really matter what we've done in our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus Christ our Savior. Not Harold in Jesus. So that being justified, declared not guilty by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We would receive eternal life. So how do we respond to what Jesus is saying? We've got three questions. They all kind of go together. What gate or way will you take? Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a little nervous about what you're a Christian, at least you're professing to know Christ, and you're a little nervous about what I just got done working through, what Jesus just got done saying, it's a good time for you to reevaluate and say, okay, what, is, what am I really basing my faith on? What am I basing my relationship with God on? Things that I'm doing? Or the fact that Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ personally, that's how you get on that path to heaven. You don't do all the good stuff and get heaven. Jesus did the only thing that could be done. You trust that. You trust Him and what God says. And that's what gets you into heaven. So you have a choice in what you gain. You have a choice of who you're going to listen to. You can listen to Jesus and literally just read the Bible and find out about it. Or you can trust what you think or somebody else is telling you. And again, I keep saying, you guys, listen, I'm trying to stay accurate to Scripture. I work hard to do that. And I believe I am. But that doesn't mean that you guys sit there and go, oh yeah, Harold, he's got it. He's got it all figured out. No, you have a responsibility. Get into the Bible. Read it. Study it. That's why we have classes that help you do that. But you need to decide, is Jesus telling the truth or is somebody else telling the truth? And lastly, when you stand before Jesus, how will you answer Him? When you're standing there, and He says, why should I let you into heaven? What's the response? For a lot of people, it's going to be, you see, every, you see all this? What I just did over here? Look at all that. Look at that repertoire right there. It's a big word. Thought I'd throw that out there. You know, that's, that's what I got. And what's he going to say according to what he said here? Practice one who practices lawlessness, sin. Because this good work doesn't get us into heaven. There's only one answer that gets you into heaven, and that is when Jesus were, if Jesus were to say, Why should I let you into heaven? Because you said I get to because I believe you died on the cross for my sins. That's it. Now I know this is a, a difficult thing for Christians. You know how I know that? Because I've done membership papers for 25 years. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll ask that question, 
why should God let you into heaven? Or how do you know you're going to heaven? We ask it three or four different ways. And inevitably, people will say either, well, I'm trying to be a good person. No, that's, that's the works. Or they'll say, well, I placed my faith in Christ and I'm trying to be a good Christian and read the Bible and go to church. And mm-mm. Good works. One answer. Because I place my faith in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. All the good works are great after you've placed your faith in Christ. That does, good works don't help save you in any way, any form, any fashion. Jesus, Jesus alone. Then all the good works that happen is just you doing life God's way. Why? Because you love Him. Because He wants, to, he wants you to see how great He is and how He answers your prayer. And he wants your life to be used to show other people who is this incredible God that you worship. The good works are important, but not anything for salvation. If we try to combine it, we end up wrong on the wrong road. Jesus says in John 3, 16-18, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, won't go to hell but have eternal life. We'll get to go to heaven. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Man, if, we just, if people just read the Bible, it's just right there in your face, right? I mean, my nose doesn't even get in the way. It's so tiny. You know, some people may have a hard time seeing through that, but it's right there, right in front of our faces. He who believes in Him puts His full weight of trust is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already. Why? He's on the wide path. Because he has not believed, put his full weight of trust in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I'm going to ask the, the band to start making their way up here, and I'm going to try to get out of their way a little bit. But here's what I like to do this morning. I'd like to give you an opportunity this morning that if, if you're here this morning and, and you're not sure that if you were to die tonight, today, not that we want you to, but if it were to happen, and you're not sure that you would spend eternity in heaven, or you know for a fact that you wouldn't, okay? here's what I'd like to do for you. I'd like to be able to just pray a prayer that you could pray, your heart to God's, just quietly between you and God. But I'll lead you. Some people like to have help with that, and I'm more than willing. If the prayer doesn't save you, I don't save you. It's God who saves you. So I'd like to go ahead and just uh, close your eyes, bow your head, and just kind of focus in. If you're a Christian here this morning, you need to be doing business with God and, and praying that the Lord will be moving in our church family. But if you would like to pray that, I'd like to just ask you to raise your hand first. and then If you'd like to pray that prayer, I'll lead you in that prayer. Anybody else? Okay. Let me go ahead and pray. Keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. But I'm going to pray. And if you're, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you're thinking, I need to get this right, just pray this prayer. Again, the prayer doesn't save you, it's, it's what your heart is saying, your desire to trust in Christ. And just say this Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I also know 
and I believe that Jesus died my eternal death in hell. And I believe He rose again to defeat my sin and my death. I ask You to forgive me of my sin and I'm placing my trust in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. In Christ's name, Amen. Go ahead and... So if you've prayed that prayer, God's Word says that God has forgiven you. He's declared you not guilty. That word justified. I declare you not guilty. By the way, it's a one-time thing. Okay? So if you've, you've all been birthed physically, right? Okay. So some of you are like, well, I don't know. Uh, Pastor? Um, you've all been birthed physically. Okay? There's nothing you can do to rebirth yourself physically. It's impossible. And your parents, if they're still alive, are going, especially your mom, is, yes. Okay. Same with your spiritual life. When God rebirths you, when He gives you spiritual life, that only can happen once. And once you do that, God adopts you into His family. That family is eternal. Never be removed from that family. His Holy Spirit is in you. God the Holy Spirit will never be removed from you. And when you die, Ephesians tells us, which by the way we're going to be going through Ephesians in February, tells us that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. God's guarantee to us that when we die, we get to go to heaven. Not for anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done and Christ alone has done. Awesome. So you, once that happens, you are a child of God from now and for eternity. And it's an awesome thing to experience. We're going to close out with a song. And when we're done with the song, since I didn't give Caleb a heads up, you're going to stay to help us with the carpeting. Um, feel free to head into the quad. We've got some lunch there for you. We'll feed you so you're nice and strong. Um, and then we'll jump on that as soon as uh, people are kind of moving their way out. We'll roll the carpeting up behind them. So.